Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Level Up Human, the comedy science podcast, souping up the Homo sapien. Hello, welcome to Level Up Human Extra with Rachel Wheely and Simon Watt. Simon, how are you? Uh, quarantined, but not because I've got anything wrong with me, but just by virtue of being in my house and having nowhere to go. We're both speaking to you from our respective bunkers this morning. Um, I'm in my shed. Yeah, you, you literally are because you're being ostracised on account of having the plumbers yeah. in. Which sounds like some kind of weird euphemism. I do apologise, but it's the... And the trains next door as well. Yeah. yeah, it's it's a slightly strange time. We're recording this uh, in mid-March 2020. The advice at the moment, because we're in the middle of a coronavirus pandemic, is to work from home and to avoid social contact. Now, Simon and I generally like to do that anyway. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah, I've been I've been thinking about this like. I'm actually, I'm going to have to Skype in my first gig in about a week. I think this is a genuine thing. I'm I'm seeing an event over Skype and everybody else is going to be doing it. And I know my first gag is going to, I will literally be doing it in my pants <laughs> and insist that everybody else is doing it is as well. How, we can't even get into what we want to talk about today without pausing on that. What what do you mean you're emceeing a gig for, via Skype? How does that even work? Well, well, the fam, it's for the um, Fame Lab Northwest, Northeast final, or North final, I think is how it works. So these people have entered this contest and they still have to get to do their stuff and be judged. And hopefully there'll be people watching online. But it's going to be very strange, yeah, emceeing a gig over the internet. I will just assume if I don't hear any laughter, it's just like no <laughs> delay in the wires. It's all lag. <laughs> Let's just assume that everybody was in absolute hysterics, but you'll never know. Yeah, just the the, the level um, the level of laughter was so high that it overpowered the servers. Yeah, so it's a it's a very strange time, and um, it's important that we stress that we are actually taking this seriously. We are we are following the advice, uh, and we we hope we can keep podcasting. 
Yeah, and to that end, I know this is a science podcast, but we're not going to issue any advice. If you want some best bets, go to the NHS website or the BBC website, and they can probably tell you what to do. But we are going to talk a little bit about viruses as a whole and probably epidemics in terms of what they mean for our future. After all, we discuss the future of our species and how we might want to make it better. So where does disease play into that? Where does disease play into that? We haven't actually covered this all that much, and now it seems incredibly prescient. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, um, in many ways, we could argue what we be going through is a little bit of a a sort of a new normal. Like we've been forecasting there's going to be pandemics for a long, long time. It's not a coincidence that this has been in the culture for a while. You know, there's a game called Pandemic. There is uh, even 28 Days Later, <laughs> you know, all these films outbreak contagion. They're trying to dramatise what might have become a reality. So to that end, there's good news and there's bad news. And we can think of the reasons why this is happening in the first place is because we're sort of a particularly diseased species, actually. It's one of the features of being a human. We're a particularly diseased species. Yeah, like, don't take it personally. So humans in our evolution have made some massive... Uh, I'm not going to call them mistakes because they're things that have greatly benefited us, but they've come at a slight cost. So if you look at our kind of viral load, the things which come into us and the pathogens we can get and our bacterial load... We've got the things that we've inherited from our ape ancestors, you know, the things which we share, even perhaps with the monkeys, the stuff that has been with us for a long, long time. That's sort of step one. That's our our kind of our classic condition disease. Mm -hmm. And then we started doing things like farming. And then we got a whole like sort of expansion pack of diseases that came in because we were living in close proximity to large numbers of animals. And with farming also came sedentary lifestyles. In terms of we didn't migrate as much. We didn't, um, not, not as nomadic. Mm -hmm. And on top of that, our, our population started going up suddenly. So what used to be the case was that a disease would come in, it would either wipe out those people who weren't immune to it, or people would suddenly become immune to it and disease would have nowhere to go. The pathogen would then die out. It had kind of killed its, its food source. Um, but suddenly, as soon as you're working, living at higher densities and there's more people, it can kind of keep going round and round and round. There's always new hosts to travel onto. So we've got our diseases that we got from our past. And then we got our diseases that we get from animals and things. And then we get the diseases which can now be sustained because our populations are so much bigger. Fast forward that a couple of centuries, or even maybe a thousand or so years, and now we've got a global village. So the epidemic mm. can become the pandemic much, much easier. Mm. Yeah, it's, it's a result of our success. This is the viruses exploiting kinks in our armor. It's the things which make us a success is that we're sociable and that there's loads of us. And that's one of the things they can take advantage of. Somebody spoke on one of our recent episodes about how the human species has got to the edge of its Petri dish. <laughs> Who said I, that? That's I lovely, actually can't um, remember, um, but I and it might have been you. I can't remember how and why <laughs> it came up, but it's a, it's an idea that I've thought about quite a lot. Yeah, I don't think I'd be that eloquent, but I can kind of see what they mean. Yeah, the, the reason why these things can spread is partly because there's so many more of us. And just to just to talk about that that idea of uh, how we suddenly started living with animals when we started farming. The, the point of that is that pathogens use up all their hosts and then and they will occasionally make a leap to a new species. Is that right? 
Yeah, so it's not that they say suddenly I've eaten all the, the cows, I'm going to move on. It's also because we're eating the meat and like we're, that means we're butchering the meat and stuff that points of transmission are massively increased as mm. well. So a disease can become, say, in a, in a in a herd or something and spread from one to the other and it can suddenly move on to us as well. Um, but I think also to note here is actually one of the bits we can work out from a sort of evolutionary biology perspective is to study the evolution of disease. There's a whole branch that we know as Darwinian medicine. And it's awesome. Like, I love it. It's one of the ways of trying to understand what a pandemic might look like and try and prevent them in the future, to try and forecast these things. Um, so tell us a bit about Darwinian medicine, because that's not something I've heard of. So it's understanding how and why a disease changes and ends up in us and what kind of effects it might have. The simplest and the kind of the most important bit of it is that there's a direct relationship between how easy it is to move between individuals and how damaging you can be. So something that's noteworthy is that all these horrible pathogens that we've been getting in, in recent years, including this one, like like Ebola, like SARS, like MERS, like H5N1, like H1N1, a lot of these bird flu, swine flus, that kind of stuff, is that they're coming from animals. And one of the reasons they're so dangerous is because they're not adapted to us. Like a virus doesn't want to kill you because that's throwing the baby out with the bathwater. You know, it's it's ruining its food source. It would rather keep you alive, kind of farming you for as long as possible. But if it can spread and get into a new host, then suddenly even evolution has got no, no stick there. You may as well use up your host if you're onto another one. Mm. Yeah. And in fact, you even get a bit of that sort of competition. So there's a, a principle we call in biology the tragedy of the commons. It's, it's taken from economics, actually, and it's based on the idea of the sort of old English common. You know what I mean? Okay, so the tragedy of the commons is, is where you have a shared resource system and then individuals kind of do the opposite to what they should do by using all of the shared resources. Yeah, and it's actually kind of in people's best interests to do the worst thing on the common. That's the bit which is kind of more important. So what you're saying is that panic buying is inevitable. <laughs> well, no, let's, let's scale back because we're still thinking of things from a virus eye view of the world. Oh, okay. Okay, so the, the tragedy of the commons is basically that... Um, if you've got a shared resource, the old English common in this case, it is best for you to graze as many as your cattle in that common as possible and even overgraze it and ruin it because there's always the chance that everybody else is going to. So if you're not going to use up that shared resource, you can guarantee that your neighbour is. So if I don't buy all the toilet roll, somebody else, somebody will. else will. Yeah, sorry, I'm still, yes, I'm still looking at it from a human perspective <laughs> because my local saying nose is empty. Okay, let's, let's look at it from the, the toilet roll perspective. Is Actually, if everybody else is buying all the to toilet roll, the right solution for you to do is for you to do it as well. So it is inevitable. From your perspective. Mm. Yeah. So that is a tragedy of the commons. And the reason why that doesn't apply to all things in economics is you end up having laws. So whenever, I don't know, Morrison's or Sainsbury's or whatever ends up kind of rationing. Two, two loo rolls per customer. Each. Yeah, which is why yeah. I send all my when kids that in. happens. I should not be allowed. It's people like me who are making life difficult, and I apologise for having had too many children. Oh, no, no. Okay, so so that's the first <laughs> thing we've got, is that there's that tragedy of the commons, okay? Yeah. So if a disease can move, if a, if a pathogen can move from you to another host easily, it doesn't matter what it does with you. 
Yeah. And in fact, there's a competitive imperative on that individual virus or bacteria that it is to use you up as fast as possible because of all of its siblings will. I see. Okay. So in other words, diseases that can move fast are diseases that are bad. They're ones that are more likely to kill. They're ones that are more likely to do harm. A disease that moves slowly has to keep you alive long enough to keep going. I see. Okay, so what's an example of a disease that moves slowly? Syphilis. <laughs> yeah, so you that, that absolutely should not be a punchline, and I feel bad for laughing that much. Well, well, you just sounded so triumphant about it. <laughs> it's, it's a very good example of this because there's suggestions that you go back to the past. Uh, syphilis was known as the great pox, to distinguish it from smallpox. You know, or smallpox is called smallpox to distinguish it from syphilis. And I did not know that. Yeah, and you go back a couple hundred years, syphilis was way worse than it is now. Right. And there's a couple of reasons for that. The first one is that if it covers you with all these massive weeping sores, uh, nobody's going to want to get jiggy with you. Mm-hmm. So therefore it's harming its own spread. So over time it evolved to become more and more silent in its expression i.e. less visible and slower in terms of how it uses up its right. resource. Give you more time to, uh, I don't know, get a chance to get juggy. Who knows if Tinder has had an effect? Maybe it's changing the evolution of these things as time goes. I'm just looking up famous syphilis victims. Oh, there's many, aren't there? I mean, it killed all the painters. <laughs> Toulouse-Lautrec... <laughs> Gauguin, Manet, all died from syphilis. Apparently Oscar Wilde died from syphilis, which I didn't realise. This is the problem with uh, Googling things as you're doing a podcast is who knows whether this is accurate. Um, but it's a very good example of like, that's one that's, that is, looks like it's slowed. And actually most of the diseases that we have in our early childhood were probably animal in origin a long, long time ago, but have since adapted to us. So in other words, the diseases which are more harmful are the newer ones because they haven't had as long in us to kind of work us out. Again, there's that thing of the the virus doesn't want to kill you. Unless it can move fast, in which case it doesn't care whether it kills you or not. Precisely. I mean, it doesn't care, obviously, because it doesn't have a brain. Yeah, but... that's, that's actually half the joy of it, that all this is done unthinkingly. But this tells us a couple of things that are really, really useful for epidemiology in terms of... Um, what what how does understanding how viruses move help us keep people alive and one of the well things... before we before we get on to how does uh how how whatever you just said what's <laughs> what's what's epidemiology uh the study of diseases in terms of population like how do they spread where do they go ah, Where do they an outbreak from? of disease affecting great numbers yeah there you go okay cool right so and that's where epidemic comes from in fact well yeah same, epidemiology same i think yeah. epidemic it's from greek epidemos epi means among and demos means the people among the people so there you go yeah there you go we're learning as we're as we're podcasting here as per usual 
millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. So, so actually, it's just one of those sort of things that means I've got good... We've got evidence. We can, it's a good way of trying to work out what would be good practice. If you try and take this virus eye view of the world, what can you do, therefore, to try and stop it? And one of the main things we can see in that case is to slow it. And so if you can slow it, it should be evolving to be less harmful. Okay, now the question is, how do you slow it? And things like quarantine, that was one of the ones. Uh, things like stopping having... I don't know, large groups of people who've got compromised immune systems all in one place, like a hospital. <laughs> and and what, what kind of time frames are we talking about here? Like how long does it take a virus like coronavirus to evolve? Now, that's much, much trickier. And that's one of those things which I wouldn't even hazard a guess at. The thing, of course, that we would do know is that it's kind of like populations happening within an individual. Like there'll be millions and millions and millions of viral particles within an affected person. So it's kind of like that level. Each of those can be subtly different. So evolution can happen lightning quick in bacteria and in viruses, but it doesn't mean it does. You need two things for evolution to happen. You need overproduction, so loads of them, but then you also need variation, which they'll have, and then you need selection. So selection is whether or not they spread or not. Okay, so what might we get out of this outbreak that we can learn for next time? So there's places here where we're, we're being very lucky. And the main thing is that this is a nasty disease and all the precautions that are being taken are correct. And, you know, there's, there's good reason, like, you know, please follow the advice of every government and everything that's telling you what to do right now. And please be careful and be kind to one another. Uh, but the good news is this is this is not as bad as it could be. 
Like there are plenty of diseases out there which are far, far nastier. Like the reason why, funny enough, I thought this was going to be a big one was because I remember details of SARS and SARS was a really good spreader. And it was thought very much in the media as kind of like an overhype when in actuality it's a disease where we kind of won, you know, all the control measures and everything were correct. Um, they worked. And a lot of the things that we even learned from SARS were implementing now. So stuff like thermal imaging cameras in airports to spot people with fevers. Um, some of the studies of how things like social distancing work a bit. That people are doing amazing traces and following where the spread from one individual to another one can happen. So anyway, that's the good news is that it's not as bad as it could be. This isn't as lethal as it could be. It is horrible that it's lethal at all for some people, but it's not the kind of thing which is maybe comparable to some of the great, great plagues of the past. Maybe. So, if we're going to learn things, bearing in mind this won't be the last of these, because we live in a global village, and because we're constantly encroaching on wildlife, and we're putting pressure almost on diseases to have, to find a nice juicy host in the form of us. What we're going to see is probably some of the best arguments that have ever been made for socialised medicine, like to understand that it is to protect all of us, we have to protect the weakest among us. So in the UK, for instance, we're lucky enough to have the NHS and it does need massively more funding than it's been receiving for a long, long time. Same goes for the World Health Organization. Everybody's been doing tremendous work, but they've been underfunded for so, so long. You compare that to, say, some countries where they don't have any form of socialist healthcare, like the US, where perhaps larger concentrations of homeless people or people who have to exist in the gig economy, where they're not guaranteed an income and therefore have to go to work sick. That will have massive effects on the spread of an epidemic. Yes. Like everybody who doesn't have help has the greatest potential to become a super spreader. People who can't afford to self-isolate are going to keep going to work and you can completely understand why. And one of the things that's good news from this stuff is we will know because the fact that so many different countries are taking different approaches or in different places in the spread of an epidemic. Come the next one of these, we'll have a better idea of what tactics work the best. Yes, we will have a and good that is good. Compare and contrast. Um, a thing which is also, I don't know, of concern is the ideas of herd immunity are a little bit tricky. Like if it's one of those sort of things that's being done to try and buy time for development of a vaccine and that kind of stuff, that's pretty good. Uh, another place which is sort of good news for this is that because this is from a family of viruses, so the coronaviruses are a whole big massive group, SARS and MERS are probably the most famous ones, was that whenever those epidemics hit, people started working on vaccines. So it means that people working on vaccines for this one aren't starting from nothing. They have prototypes of these other ones to kind of look at and see if there's any kind of shared immunity. That's good. Like does something that worked against one of the other ones work against this? Another thing that was really nice was some proper good international cooperation uh, that maybe didn't happen as much under SARS. Um, the Chinese government pretty much published open access the genome for the virus straight away as soon as they had it. So people were able to start working on this very early. There were labs in Australia that were already producing the virus um, in the lab to get working on before it spread there. 
Is that good for vaccine production? Yeah, it's the kind of thing that's essential for the research into it. Like you can't work on it if you don't have copies of it. And you want them in the lab so you can get, you know, a controlled, safe environment. So one of, the th- one of the things that's a bit tricky in terms of this sort of herd immunity idea, and this might just be my, again, a slight evolutionary biologist brain kicking off at this, is, of course, that the more these things spread and the more humans that a virus has to replicate within, the greater its chances of mutation. So you might well have started off with one strain of this thing and end up with two or three or four. Like the more people it is to spread within, the more variety there is within the virus population. So are we suddenly going to be in a circumstance where we can't, where vaccinations and things only work against some strains or whatever? Mm. So the longer this thing is, the longer this genie is out of the bottle, the, the longer it has to change as well. Yep, that makes that makes sense. And the more so, it spreads, so the idea of going to delay rather than containment, the benefit of delaying is that we're trying to not overload the National Health Service or other health services. The disadvantage is that we're giving it more chance to do something. Sorry, that's a train going past my shed. <laughs> the other thing which works is stuff like universal basic income which means that people who are in the gig economy, like you and me to an extent, don't have to worry and are not going to starve. Uh, There's a saying, I think, I don't know who said it first, that the four horsemen always travel together. So that where you get pestilence, you'll get famine. Where you Mm. get famine, you'll get war. You know, all these things come in one. Yeah. Think of disruption. The wars over the toilet rolls that will result. Yeah, <laughs> the, lack the pestilence over the... <laughs> it all comes back to literal, geez. So, <laughs> yeah. you know, there's good arguments for things like, like that. Um, we're also probably going to find one of the nice things is so many people are going to discover that working from home is fine and they can do it. <laughs> so a change to office culture and maybe, uh, you know, looking after family, carers leave and stuff might might change a bit, like going forward. Yeah, they might never get us back to into the offices. At yeah, this and, it, and it will probably be fine. Like, that's the good news for all this. Um, so, yeah, that kind of thing of people being able to look after each other and they're being like... I, I can just see how this is very good arguments for having a government that you can trust that if they do say, stay put, you will. And also good arguments for people being facilitated to look after themselves by some of these nice lefty things. Yes. And the other joke, which I'm sure a thousand and one people have made, it's really nice to see that experts are back in fashion. Yes, that's very good, isn't it? We're less less interested in all of the uh, the hype windmills that exist on social media and more, I'm, I'm increasingly just looking at the BBC website to see what's really going on. Yeah. Yeah, that's nice, isn't it? Well, let's hope. Let's hope that um, let's hope some good comes of it. And uh, to all our listeners, take care of yourselves. And we're going to be putting out some uh, more episodes in the next couple of weeks. It looks like a lot of our live events that we had planned in the future are cancelled. So, yeah, we can understand that. That makes perfect sense. Bummer as it is, at least the internet cannot be cancelled. So you will hear from us. You will definitely hear from us. So thank you very much for listening. 
You can support the podcast on patreon.com forward slash level up human. And you can find all our back episodes, of which there are over 50, on acast.com. Bye. Bye. That was Level Up Human, hosted by Simon Watt, produced by Rachel Wheely, and supported by the Physiological Society. For more information, go to levelupyoumen.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.